A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, and welcome to the Pet Pod. This is the podcast that's all about pets. I'm Zara Boland. I'm a vet, a consultant, and an all-around animal lover. And each episode, I'm going to be joined by one or two of my veterinary friends and colleagues from across the pet healthcare industry so that we can offer you handy tips and some expert advice to help keep your beloved family pet healthy and, above all, happy. Today's podcast is supported by YouMove, the UK's number one vet joint supplement brand for dogs. It's clinically proven to work in just six weeks, and it's recommended for older dogs who are starting to slow down and show signs of stiffness. And in fact, I've just started my own dog, Rumba, on their supplements. So Rumba's a Bernese Mountain Dog, and she's coming up to nine years of age this October, and I've noticed her really start to slow down only in the last three to six months. So I'll be very curious to chart her progress as we go through the next few podcasts and she tries out these YouMove supplements. But YouMove also have a range of products available to help younger dogs and canine athletes to stay on top form. And the good news is that they're also available for cats, horses, and even humans. Now, the team at YouMove are on a mission to make sure that every dog, cat, and horse lives their most active life for life. And that's why they're offering a 40% discount code to anyone who listens to the Pet Pod. So visit their website, youmove.co.uk, and enter the code PETPOD40 when you get to the checkout. So today we're going to talk about weight management and why your pet's fluff factor might actually be far more significant than you realize. And I'm delighted to say that my guest is Dr. Alex German, who's Professor of Small Animal Medicine at the University of Liverpool. And he's a globally recognized expert in the field of obesity biology, aging, preventing chronic disease and gastroenterology. So without further ado, Alex, thanks for joining me and welcome to the Pet Pod. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Zara. Now, we're talking all about weight management today. So in our dogs and cats, and I know from my own experience that, you know, there is a rise in weight gain among our pets and, and it seems to be mirroring the human population. There's been a large increase over the last number of years. Specifically, it seems to be more, more pertinent and noticeable. So I guess, have you any, any ideas of why that might be happening? That's a great question. Um, as you know already, we've actually been running a specialist weight management clinic at the University of Liverpool for now 15 years. And I've been studying this topic for 20 years. And I'd love to be able to give a simple answer. <laughs> and the reality is I don't think there is a simple answer out there. If we want to try and keep it simple, weight gain in cats and dogs like people ultimately comes about because of energy balance. So if a person or a cat or a dog is taking in more calories than they're using, those calories get stored. And so you do gain weight. So that's the simple answer. 
the problem is there's a huge number of things that influence that lots of different things that are out there and i don't think it's any one thing necessarily in every single individual so the cases that we see each of them are different they all have their stories and different reasons for getting to the point that they are another interesting thing that they've learned in people we now know that somewhere between 40 and 70 percent of an individual's weight status is down to their genes really yeah it's 40 to 70 percent wow but that kind of stuff is almost beyond what you can control you know yeah um, gives me so hope gen- <laughs> it gives us all hope maybe um but i think that that hi- you know highlights the fact that a lot of it actually is outside our control it's almost kind of predetermined but the rapid rise in obesity isn't just genes so clearly what's happening is the environment interacts with those genes um, and that's what we're all trying to figure out it isn't straightforward but 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 it, it does seem to be mirroring the human population yeah absolutely um and i guess it's probably not surprising because our cats and dogs are living in the same environment that we're living in and they're a, they're part of our family one of the things that research in human obesity is, is shown is that obesity does run in families it's a family problem and of course genetics as we've just mentioned is going to play a big part between kids and their parents but interestingly there are associations between people and their pets and that's thought to be what they call the family food environment it's almost a sort of attitude availability of food types of food attitudes of food and because we see our pets as another member of the family they're kind of sharing in that that sort of shared environment um okay so there are similar and just one more thing from the, the similarities we have discovered some of those genes like in people are doing the same thing in our pets we're just beginning to touch the surface there so tell me a bit more about that then what's what are you what are you discovering well i think it's a slow process the trouble trouble is there, there's lots of people doing research in human obesity there are a handful of people across the world doing the same thing in dogs and cats so it's going to be slower and i would argue it's probably more complicated because you know you think about dogs you've got so many different breeds and varieties and differences true so one of the best groups is actually at cambridge um, and in 2016 they identified the first gene in dogs and it was in labradors (laughs) no 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 surprise surprise there there, everybody knows how labradors (laughs) eat many of the genes in people um, actually work in the brain and they affect appetite and some people one of the scientists who, who works on that has coined the term the hungry brain to describe what they mean so it's basically their genes that kind of just make you slightly hungrier than average and surprise surprise in the labrador the gene that was affected was called the pom c gene and guess what it does it affects appetite interesting there are lots of similarities even though as i say the story is going to be more complicated and is it linked in dogs to the to the brain like it is in humans or is it i I suspect so i mean there's going to be genes elsewhere as well but i think the more people look the more we'll find and that's likely to be the case for cats as well i suspect because again a lot of observations of cat owners are related to how they interact with the owner for food perhaps not surprising (laughs) <laughs> no, no, we're not. It's very hard to resist those eyes when they're, <laughs> they're staring up at yeah. you. Like, we, we, we're all pet owners. We know that, you know, <laughs> being vets, both you and I being vets. <laughs> but you kind of end up being a pet owner as well. And, and that's very difficult to resist. It is. But, you know, as I used to always say, and try to do myself with my own dog, which isn't so easy on my cat. But, you know, cuddles are just as good as food when it comes to rewards with our pets. That's great. <laughs> I'm, I might steal that. That's good. <laughs> 
take it with pride. Anyway, suffice to say, it is hard. It's very hard. I, I know that myself. But um, well, let's go back then and look at um, the fact that, and I think this is something I recognize as well, and I think is widely recognized, is that we're changing our perception of what overweight is mm-hmm. for people as well as for pets. And, and so maybe a, a large part of this is helping people understand when their pet is actually healthy weight, an ideal body weight versus an overweight to obese to, God forbid, morbidly obese. Um, and there's a lot of good tools out there. In fact, I've, I've been involved in creating some of them, but perhaps you can, you can talk about that and help us, help us understand how we can do that at home. Yeah, sure. I mean, that, that's another thing. One of, one of the things, society, we get used to what we're seeing around us um, and pictures and images. And I think that's one of the things is sometimes it can be surprising for an owner if their pet is deemed to be overweight because they may not be seeing it because they kind of look normal compared with everybody else around them yeah Um, so there are similarities between dogs and cats um, in terms of how we would do that probably the best advice for an owner would be to speak to your vet because they can do it more objectively than you can but the tool that is most commonly used is a thing called a body condition score so it's a bit like a sort of dog or cat equivalent of a body mass index they'll do is they'll have a a look so they'll use their eyes and they'll have a feel of different bits of the body Um, and the combination will allow the vet to judge on a score of one to nine where that pet sits so between four and five out of nine is said to be ideal Um, cats actually probably six might even be ideal as well based on some of the recent studies so okay bit of leeway with cats yeah there, there are there's a little bit more leeway with cats but above five, six, seven, eight, nine tends then to be different degrees of overweight. Less than four, three, two, one, underweight. And so it's a good way of judging overall. I guess for a pet owner, you can use some of those little tools quickly in the home. So if you can get, for example, your dog to stand and have a look from the side and above, you can get an overall idea of their shape. Mm-hmm. From above, they should hopefully have a nice hourglass figure, hopefully. So there should be a nice little sort of tuck in after the ribs. We all aspire to that, Alex. Exactly. Yeah, I know. As you get older like me, there are certain areas that don't look like that anymore, I'd have to say. Uh, But then from the side, there should be a lovely tuck after the abdomen. And if if, if the tummy doesn't tuck up at that point, then again, the chances are that they may have a little bit extra body fat around. Um, and, and then finally, probably the easiest thing actually is to have a feel of just across the ribs, again, ideally with the dog or cat standing. So you're trying not to put any pressure on and just sort of feeling, can I feel the sort of little dimples of the ribs along the way? And you should be able to feel them pretty easily, not too easily so that they, f- they feel like razor blades, but, but relatively easily. I think if you're having to push in a little bit, then that kind of suggests again, um, your pet may be overweight. So a bit like, um, I guess, feeling buyers or pencils in your in your breast pocket. That's a great idea. Yes. Um, and the other people, difficult to demonstrate on a podcast, but sometimes people use their hand as well. So if you're feeling over your knuckles, that's too underweight. Across the fingers, the back of the fingers, if you feel there is about right. And if then the palm of your hand is a little bit over. That's great. I like that. You've got that to hand all the time. <laughs> no that's good i like that so yeah, yeah pencils so in the very, breast yeah. pocket and, 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 and anything like that hand. yeah um i think one of the realities that we touched upon is actually is owners can do that themselves but there is a challenge with judgment and there are studies actually that show that people for example see themselves slightly slimmer than they are 
if they're parents they see their children slightly slimmer than they are and likewise their pets so that's why it does sometimes help to get an objective opinion yeah well i'd like to go back if you don't mind to um to what you were talking about earlier in terms of the research and I'm trying to dig down and delve into it a little deeper about these other factors, lifestyle factors, because yeah, we all we all kind of know that the logic of calories in versus calories out. Obviously, exercise plays a role as well. But what about other factors? We know, like hormonal changes when we when we neuter our pets, for example, that has an impact on potential weight gain. So maybe talk us through if you wouldn't mind some other potential factors that can contribute. Yeah, I mean, there's, there are a lot. And I think one of the things I always try not to do is, is highlight one factor, because we always like to, we always like to have one thing to blame. You know, the classic example was the story about, you know, in the 70s, we were always told it was fat in your diet. Too much fat was what was making you, you mm-hmm. overweight. And now it's and sugar, now right? It's all sugar, yeah. Reality is it's never one thing. And we, we like a simple, you know, if, if you can just do this one thing, it's all solved. And unfortunately, obesity is not like that. And I think a lot of it is because of those genetics. If you've got the genetics that make pre-programs you to be overweight, you're always going to be fighting against that. And the body is very clever at getting around all of your strategies. You mentioned neutering, though. So that's something, of course, that happens in cats and dogs, not in, in people. And yes, it's a risk. It's certainly a risk factor. The studies that have been lo- have looked into it, certainly there is the hormonal shifts, but it doesn't change, as a lot of people think, it doesn't change your overall energy balance. So it doesn't alter your metabolic rate. Um, but what it does do is alter behavior. So it's thought to, for example, increase appetite, whilst at the same stage, reduce activity, one or other or both of those. So again, it always comes back down to that energy balance. Everything ultimately goes through energy balance but it's thought to be behavioral changes Um, I think the key thing with neutering if you're a pet owner is of course there are reasons why you would want to get your pet neutered um, and very positive health reasons why that that can be useful the weight gain isn't inevitable and I think the key thing and it's a message that will come across again and again is keep a close eye on the weight if you know your pet's weight and you know hopefully they're healthy weight and you regularly weigh them particularly round about the time of neutering then you hopefully spot if there is a beginning of a problem if weight's beginning to be gained at that point then it's just an adjustment to the food hopefully um so challenges but not necessarily insurmountable hopefully if you're if you're paying attention no and i think the other thing is that most people tend to neuter their pets when they're still puppies and kittens which means they're still pretty useful and highly energetic so perhaps it's a it's a case of you know encouraging that you know increased play and and activity while they're still young that's an interesting point we'll maybe touch upon prevention later um but growth is a key point mm-hmm. um, of course if you're neutering your pet in growth you might say well how, how can i do that because they're going to be gaining weight anyway how can i tell to make sure they're not gaining weight something we've recently developed um at liverpool with collaborators are some growth charts Okay, great. For for puppies, and hopefully we've got some kitten ones coming soon. They're a bit like if you're a parent, there are kid growth charts, that World Health Organization ones, where effectively if you take your child to a health visitor regularly, they can actually weigh them and just check to make sure they're growing at an appropriate rate. Um, The same can now be done for cats and dogs. They're free of charge. They can be used by anybody. And again, that's a way of giving you a guide to know, you know, if there are changes like nutrient, what impact that might have had brilliant and and they're widely available so vets would be using them or we can download them ourselves 
Yes, yeah, you can download them free of charge, actually. Um, it's best used in combination with a vet because they're the ones that can then be giving guidance on them, um, for example, whether there's any concerns. And you know, like with kids, growth is going to be different in individuals and it might bounce around. So that's where the vet can come in. Uh, so, yeah, used in combination, ideally, with, the, with vets. Okay, great. And um, we'll add a link to, um, uh, to the show notes so that people can see those growth charts themselves. But let's move on now to talking about some of the consequences of being overweight, because I'm aware there's, there's quite a long and, and variable list there. But just before we get into it, I'd like to understand a bit more, Alex, about whether obesity should be regarded as a disease in its own right, or whether we need to consider it as a, as a contributing factor to other health conditions or diseases. Yeah, I mean, it's this has been a long debated topic in people and now in pets. And one of the things that comes a little bit down, people get very, very upset and erased about that. And it ultimately comes down to what your definition of a disease is. And that actually is quite difficult to quantify, which is why I think a lot of people have problems deciding and agreeing whether something like obesity is a disease. But it's thought to be a condition with predictable clinical signs, so predictable outward signs, where there can be multiple causes and it affects function and health. So that's basically a kind of a simplest definition in a nutshell. Um, and if we look at obesity, it fits all of those things. There are very characteristic signs. It's not a difficult disease to spot, um, you know, using some of the tools you mentioned already. There are definite effects and that, you know, that there are various factors that will influence and cause that. And then finally, we have lots of evidence now of effects on health. For example, a study we did and published a year or two ago showed that on average, um, across different breeds of dog, there was a shorter lifespan if your pet was overweight. And that could range up to about two years shortening of lifespan, simply essentially associated with being overweight. I know that study. That was a that was a lifelong study, and you know I think what's really important about that particular study is if you equate that to human years, that two years, and it was done on Labradors, if I'm if I'm correct, that two year equivalent is you know up to fifteen human years of of shortening in lifespan. Yeah, it's yeah, that's right. Um, And then there's the multitude of other illnesses that come along, and work that we did looking at quality of life as well, suggesting just overall dogs are a little bit more miserable. So. I think there's little doubt that if you look at the definitions of of whether it's a disease or not, that's how it should really be classified. I guess the reason that I would be strongly in favour of it is that it then hopefully alters the narrative and ensures that owners get the attention and help that they deserve in helping to sort the problem out. I agree fully with you, Alex, and and I think you're right. The most important thing here is supporting our our pet owners, our pet parents, um, to help them to understand and combat weight gain in their own pets. Let's go back then to some of those those potential complications. So obviously with aging dogs, putting on weight, it's arthritis. There's obviously implications on the respiratory system and that leads to anesthetic complications. There's heart disease. So perhaps you can talk us through some of the, the potential consequences. Yes, yeah, so there's a long list. Um, and interestingly, there are parallels between people and dogs and cats with, with obesity. So there's a lot of similarities across the species and of course some differences along the way. I think if we're looking at dogs first, the number one uh, condition that we tend to see are essentially limb and joint type conditions, things like arthritis, problems with the cruciate ligament, for example, and and all of those are more likely in dogs that are overweight. Um, In 
cats cats get those problems too and i think the big problem with cats is that we don't as cat owners spot that as as well cats tend to hide their signs no they're masters of disguise aren't they exactly yeah and, and actually arthritis for example is a really common problem in cats an older cat and actually most owners aren't aware because their cats are hiding it from them um, yeah because they sleep most of the day anyway exactly so, yeah. so, yeah. And, so and, and and there are studies that show that lameness and those sort of mobility problems again are more common in cats but it's kind of less recognized the other big one is diabetes and that happens in both species so type 2 diabetes yeah well in particularly in cats the cats get a kind of type 2 diabetes which is like the diabetes in, in people so that's very much linked with weight and obesity dogs get a different type it's closer maybe to type 1 but it's maybe not quite the same um, so you'd think that the weight wouldn't be associated, but actually in the studies that have been done, there is an association and we kind of don't know why. So yeah, diabetes, weight. Um, I think another one, which I think is, I, to me is becoming all the more pertinent is a breathing problems. And that again is both dogs and cats, uh, but particularly in dogs, we're seeing increased popularity of a lot of the sort of flat nose brachycephalics. And they already have a degree of breathing issues anyway. And so you then we're seeing a lot of those particular types and those especially struggling with, with breathing and breath as a result of that. So those are probably some of the top ones. But again, there's a whole long list. Um, and I mentioned that quality of life as well. I think overall, all of these effects on health affect the overall well-being of the patient. Yeah, inevitably. But but I think there's some good news as well, because I know there's some good studies showing that particularly with the diabetes you mentioned in cats, you know, diet can actually reverse the need for insulin injections in some in mm -hmm. some cases, yeah. as well as the sure. weight loss. So yeah. so by getting them back on track, losing the weight, we can actually reverse some of these symptoms and signs and, and elements of suffering. I, I think I think that's the thing that there's always an opportunity to, to help. So we know, for example, weight loss improves insulin sensitivity even if you know even in dogs as well as as well as cats and actually in in cats there is some potential to for diabetes essentially to be totally reversed there's some great recent work in people showing that with with very low calorie diets people being on for sort of eight weeks um, a significant number of type 2 diabetic people will actually go into remission in just eight diet. weeks yeah, yeah it's 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 a lot of work um and i mean weight loss isn't ever easy but for eight weeks uh, um there, there's been some really good recent work and some promising things and so we're looking at opportunities there for for cats and dogs as well ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue .com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, 
fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I know an area that you, you can shed some light on is, is research into, into lipid itself. And many of us are, would might believe that it's the inert tissue. It doesn't do anything. It's just sits there like a big blob and, and causes us nothing but pain when we look in the, in the mirror. But, but actually, that's not the case, is it? It's a very active tissue. Yes, it was always thought of as a as a dull tissue because it just stored energy, you know, and, and it's and didn't do much. But um, that all changed with the discovery of a hormone called leptin, which was a hormone that actually was produced by fat cells, and they found that was one of the things that affected appetite. Not the only thing, but that was one of the key things. So straight away, there was an interest in the fact that this tissue could be more functional than people realised. And since the discovery of leptin, and this is now in multiple species, including cats and dogs, we've recognised there's a whole heap of different chemical factors that fat cells produce. Um, so they're very active cells. Um, we term the, all these chemicals adipokines, kind of things that have come from fat cells. That's what that means. Otherwise known as adipose tissue. Yeah, adipose, adipokines. And what they do is they have various effects on different body systems and different parts of the body. So we've talked about appetite, they'll affect those. Some of them will affect immune function and inflammation. Others will affect fluid and, and, and other kind of balances there. So these cells actually are regulator cells in the body for various reasons. And the latest research in people is actually, if someone develops obesity, what effect does it have on all these adipokines? And we now recognize that essentially obesity is a state of chronic low-grade inflammation. So you tend to get a sort of dysregulated amount. And again, things are being stored, explored on this in cats and dogs as well. Um, so it's a more of a much more of a metabolic disease than people perhaps realized in the past. Yeah, quite significant because if we if we think about you know this as, as a tissue that's now actively producing adipokines, and the more you store, the more they'll produce, and potentially the more negative their their effect on the body, then that that is suddenly becomes much more significant and serious. Yeah, well, we've talked a lot about weight gain and and obesity itself, and and what it can lead to and the consequences it can have, but there's two things we haven't actually talked about. One is prevention, and the other is what we do once we've got an overweight dog or cat. So let's start with what we do once we've got a dog or a cat that we recognize is overweight and needs to lose it. Where do we start? Yeah, I, th I, mean, I think one of the things is I've been studying obesity for 20 years or so nearly now, and we, we've had our weight clinic running for 15 years. And what everybody wants is a simple solution. We talked about this earlier in terms of causes. But I think the one thing I've learned is if anybody comes and tells you and this goes to your own weight as well, I've got a simple solution. Number one, they're lying. Number two, they're stupid. <laughs> or number three, they're trying to sell you something. And, and it's kind of going to be one of those things. Um, There's no the, quick win here. <laughs> exactly. So I think the thing I've learned is there isn't a simple solution, sadly, to the problem that goes for people and for pets. And unfortunately, there's a lot of failure that goes alongside success. So while some 
pets and owners can be very successful others will struggle and i think again it comes down to those multiple different reasons and factors and including that genetics which is makes it difficult makes the job really difficult i will say that the, if i had to try to give one simple solution <laughs> having said all of that I, I do think involving your vet is very important and engaging them if at all possible and the best vets what they will do is take their time to talk to you and the nurses are brilliant in this way as well we shouldn't forget the nurses actually do most of the job but they'll set a program which is right for the individual and targets which hopefully will work for that individual with the most important thing being a change of diet so there are therapeutic diets available various ones are available um, and they're designed to help a cat and dog lose weight so they have the right vitamin mineral balance to ensure that they've got all the goodness they need um, and they have often have higher protein and fiber in them so they kind of make them feel a bit fuller make a dog feel a bit fuller even though you've cut the calories so probably that's the, the simplest i can make it um but it, you know recognizing the fact that it's a challenge I and mean, if, it, if it wasn't a challenge we'd have solved this problem by now yeah, so I think the key here is is recognizing that that owners need support um, to achieve this. Um, and I think there's the thing to mention is there's a lot of vet clinics that run weight management clinics and and you know weekly weigh-ins, a bit like Weight Watchers for our pets. Um, and that can be helpful because owners can go there, they can they can meet with with the with the nurse often who's who's running the program, get some encouragement if they're being successful in the weight loss because they'll they'll weigh the pet and probably do body condition scoring. But I think the key here is is support and not getting disheartened because it's going to take time yeah it's going to yeah. take time I, and i think there we should really sing out the praises of vet nurses i think they are brilliant at doing this they're always great yeah. communicators and i think it, if you go to your practice and you can establish a rapport with someone who's going to be there to support and help you i think that for me really really does help i think the final thing is recognize success where it where it is um and, and the, here's some good news a, a lot of what i've <laughs> talked about is bad news but just literally about 6% of weight change is enough to make real health benefits in cats and dogs. And there are studies that That's show, great. for example, things like mobility and quality of life improve very, very quickly. So, you know, we don't have to worry if we, if we have a pet that's got a lot to lose, we don't have to worry about that. Really just a small amount will make a difference. That's really and, good. And there. So, you know, I think it doesn't need to be absolutely, you know, impossible, but, it's we have to recognize that each individual is different it's a challenge and it does take a lot of time a lot of effort particularly from owners and i think that i love that idea of of calling that out because yeah it's it's step by step and and rewarding and, and celebrating each step you lose six yes, percent yeah, is very yeah, doable yeah. that seems much more achievable than whatever the ultimate goal might be and this i guess the way i've i've recalibrated how i look at success and failure because in the past we would set a target weight you know we'd yeah. say your, your dog's got 20 percent to lose it's going to be one percent per week so 20 weeks that's when yep, that's there. how i've done it exactly that's how everybody works you know and, and often a lot of these pets would get halfway and they would be really struggling because again i know from having gone on a diet multiple times first bit's easy but it gets harder and harder and harder and it's the same in cats and dogs and so you get halfway and in the past we've said well you've you know failed we failed but actually if you get 10 percent, to be honest you've probably got the benefits you need i think we should look at what they lose rather than what they how much more they have to lose 
Yeah, go on the positives. That's right. And I think the other key point to this, Alex, is, um, you know, I, I know it's particularly important in family situations to get everybody on board. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. So that that for me is the key. And, and one, a good trick that you could do as well is, is have a food diary um, and pop that, stick it on the fridge or something so that, you know, everybody knows that, you know, Fluffy has had her breakfast this morning. Um, she doesn't need anything else. And, and, you know, her next meal is scheduled to be when. But if someone does happen to slip or something or, you know, the toddler drops something, some toast on the floor that that she hoovers up instantly let's just make a note of it and and put it on the food diary and tell our vet yeah <laughs> our vet i think so and i think the best the best vet nurse is that, is that there's going to be no blame because it's better you know a little bit about that because exactly. then you can see okay we would be expecting quite so much success because of this and that challenge with multiple owners is a real really big one one of the things that people like to do and i think it's a great tool also is if you weigh all the food out for the day at the start if you're actually using dry food you can put it all in a jar and actually you can just feed your dog whenever you want from that and anybody can but of course when the food's gone that's the end for the day so it may help people keep track of things a bit better because that's one of the bigger challenges. I think that's a key challenge, actually. I remember going, doing a weight loss program um, a few years ago now, and we went into people's homes and uh, I asked them to, to measure out what Tittle's uh, amount of food for the day was. And uh, literally, it, when, when, when it was poured out, I then we then got the kitchen scales and I said, well, this is what, you know, according to the, the guidelines of the pack, she should be receiving. And she was getting four times yeah. the amount that she should mm. be receiving just because they were scooping it out and throwing it in the bowl. So yeah. it's a, it's a very simple thing to just weigh it out, and and you can be quite surprised at how much you're overfeeding yeah. inadvertently. Yeah, and almost invariably people do overfeed. We, we did a similar study where we we published that, and actually three quarters of people put more in a bowl than than they thought they were. Um, and and again, it's I think it's easy to do, very very easy to do, but um, you know it's little tricks like that I think can help um I think the the support thing you mentioned I think particularly is is important because you can't do it alone I don't think no it's very hard it's very hard but but okay well let's talk about prevention then prevention is is best started young no I, I think I think it is um I, I think one of the things we've got to recognize is that we are dealing with a chronic disease now so if if cats and dogs have already developed obesity I think what we need to be doing we're prioritizing little bits of modest weight loss to improve their quality of life recognizing sadly that is a problem that they're going to have really as a lifelong problem like with people it's it's kind of something that never leaves you and again remember that genetics is always going to be driving it home so for me looking to the future then it's our puppies and our kittens that we need to be concentrating on yeah i've got another sad fact for you unfortunately this again comes from from children children who developed obesity by seven sadly are highly likely to have obesity for the rest of their lives really yeah by seven. Oh um, gosh and you can you can actually start to predict the risk from seven and therefore lifelong obesity risk from just eight months of age eight months eight months of age yeah wow. and, and that's how, not necessarily how? that you'll spot that the, the different but but one of the key drivers actually is is weight i, I mentioned growth charts the earlier. growth charts yeah yeah yep. you can begin to see deviations in patterns of growth that early on in in children um and we've done studies both in dogs and cats where the same appears to be true so again patterns of growth can highlight those that are at risk of developing obesity later on 
Okay. Now, of course, knowing an individual's at risk doesn't stop them from being at risk. They're going to have risk factors. But if you can identify, you know, at least probably around about half of our pets are going to have a greater risk than others. If you know your cat or dog is in that category, then straight away we can hopefully put in a plan longer term that can at least help to mitigate that as best as possible. Okay, so so what would you recommend then? Because we all know about puppy fat, in inverted commas, but I'm guessing this comes back to those growth charts, right? Yeah. So we talked about body condition scores earlier. Um, and one of the challenges there is that those systems have really only been properly validated in adult individuals. There's, they're not so easy in puppies because you've got like differences in puppy fat and, and likewise in kittens. It's a bit more challenging. You can use them, but you have to be careful. So what I would recommend actually is using something like a growth chart, as we mentioned earlier, to chart weight um, as the key drive and really the key thing is regular weights through that growth period will allow you to determine the overall trajectory of growth for that individual and compare it with what would be expected so what the charts have if, if people are familiar with the ones from kids they look exactly the same there's a, a series of what we call centile lines on them series of curves and what you really want is it doesn't matter where your puppy or your kitten is on those curves they need to be following a line or the lines gotcha. broadly. Okay. Um, they'll bounce around a bit, but if what you see then is that they're beginning to cross lines upwards, okay. that to me then is a flag. Yeah. Um, now some temporarily might go up and then come down again, you know, that's fine. But if they're consistently going up, then it's then that you can start to make some adjustments to intervene to ensure the the, the growth is, is right. So it's almost a different thing. We're, we're talking about obesity, but we're not even thinking about that at that point with simply using weight as a metric of saying are we growing too quickly or growing too too slowly and, and adjusting um and and then that adjustment comes back to the food again or increasing the exercise or it's a, a bit, bit of both, both. i mean yeah. again it's always that balance if you, if you want to know the proportions 90 percent of the story is always what goes in rather than what comes out sadly i wish it with i love chocolate i wish it wasn't <laughs> me too <laughs> Um, but yeah, so so ultimately, the easy thing is adjusting, you know, and often little adjustments would be, particularly if you catch things early. Um, so during growth, I think monitoring with those those charts and of course, looking at their body condition as well. Hopefully what that means is when you get your puppy or kitten to their adult weight, you'll then know what is their perfect weight for, as an adult dog, because you'll have been measuring it. Um, so what's at the top of the chart? you then record that weight and hopefully what you say is that that should be the weight they then maintain longer term and again regular weight checks then through life i'd say probably every six months at least can enable you to say are they are they creeping up or creeping down again adjusting through and then adjust it yeah. that's great no i think i really like that i think the other thing is um you know incorporate those body condition scoring charts into your into your everyday routine i used to call it giving giving them a healthy cuddle so you're cuddling <laughs> them but you're feeling their ribs at the yeah. same time <laughs> i think that's useful i mean owners can again get a handle on on that as well um i like body conditions so that one of the things i i think where i think actually often monitoring weight has the edge is it's a number and if you're using the same scales it, it kind of doesn't lie and so you can you know you can actually spot even smaller differences that you can't pick up one, one of the challenges if it's your own pet um your eyes and your your hands calibrate a bit over time and so it can, you can sometimes true. almost kid yourself into thinking there's no difference when there might be the number 
the number doesn't lie. doesn't lie. But I mean, recording it, writing everything down, uh, you know, you mentioned diaries early in terms of keeping track and on food and things, again, is a useful way of just knowing overall. Because, of course, if you're knowing exactly what's, if you're weighing your food out, you know what's going in the bowl and you know there's been a change in body weight, it's then hopefully not too much different just to make a, a tiny little adjustment um, that way. And I think the key there is is the way, again, just to, to one more point on it is because with, with particularly with dry food, I'm talking, you know, it's so nutrient dense, you yeah, know, each little absolutely. piece of kibble has so much energy in it that, you know, a couple extra can actually make a big difference over time. So, yeah, I think that's, I think that's where you have to be very, very careful with amounts. Again, that's where weighing comes in. So the dry food has that as a big disadvantage. It's very energy dense. So it's easy to over adjust, particularly if you're free choice feeding. I would never recommend that for, for dogs and cats. Where there's an advantage, though, I think, for the dry food is that it's versatile. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I'd, we love to do, particularly as our weight programs, is make a lot of use of the puzzle feeding toys. Mm, um, they're great. So particularly dogs love to work for food. In fact, there are studies that suggest they would prefer to work for food rather than just have it free. Um, great. Believe it or not, the, the, the term for it, if you're interested in a long word, contra freeloader. Oh, I like is. it. I love it. I like it as well. Contra <laughs> get that into your next party when you're in conversation. Contra freeloader. So basically they're the opposite of a freeloader. And it may be because you know, essentially the first domestic dogs grew up working a little bit for food and reward. And that may have been where we almost selected for these individuals that kind of like to do a little bit of work for their food. So we make use of puzzle feeders all the time. There's heaps of them. You know, you, if, if you can look on, on the internet, there's a whole range of different types and varieties. Um, and so rather than just clearing the bowl, and again, that Labrador, so we were talking about earlier, can clear a bowl in 20 seconds. Of These puzzle feeders, they can be hollow toys or they can be modified bowls or there's some really, really fancy ones where you hide the food in, in different puzzles. And actually, therefore, the whole eating process is enjoyable. It takes time, so it slows the intake and that helps as well. And it's um, stimulating, yeah. it's engaging, it's fun. Yeah. So, so I think, the, you know, the dry food, I say, is got to be careful how you feed it it does have some advantages i think if you do it right but again i think the, the main danger would just be because it's easy oh we just pop it in the bowl and we don't worry about it and, and that is what i would certainly discourage i think yeah the key here is just get rid of the bowls if you're if you're feeding Absolutely. dry food yeah. don't use ban, a bowl ban the bowl yeah ban the ban bowl, the bowl. Yeah. <laughs> no seriously get them to work for it yeah scatter it around the house and that's the beauty of dry food you're I, right i think a lot of it takes time yeah with our owners a lot of them take takes time but of course if we're you, you said earlier about you know hugs being a form of love as well as food but if, if we if we do want to show a love something like that actually is a great way of showing love taking to walk is another great way because you can be interacting in different ways you know we should be enjoying our pets <laughs> yeah i agree well hopefully given the the recent lockdown um we spent a lot more time with them and, and well exactly yeah. yeah and and what we'll have recognized a lot of owners will have recognized the love that their pets give back to them yes it's really amazing isn't it i mean they're the ultimate unconditional love givers <laughs> well alex thank you so much for joining me today it's been fabulous to have you on it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Sarah. I've really enjoyed it. Well, that's all for this episode of the Pet Pod. And hopefully we'll all be taking time to get to know what a healthy way it is for our own furry companions so that we can help them to avoid unnecessary problems and make sure that they live a long and healthy life. 
And to give you some more assistance in the show notes, you'll find links to the World Small Animal Veterinary Association body condition scoring charts and videos where you can see me in action, as well as some growth rate charts that we discussed for puppies and kittens. But don't forget, no one knows your pets like you do. So if you're ever worried or concerned about their health, please be sure to contact your local veterinary practice first. And to make sure that you receive the next episode, please do like and subscribe. And I want to say thank you again to YouMove for sponsoring today's episode. And thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.